Amen. Hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. And if you do, if you'd find the 26th chapter of Matthew, 26th chapter of Matthew. Uh, last week we were uh, looking at the difference between uh, real faith and a faith that was not real. We looked at uh, how uh, they had a, um, a person who was betraying the Lord, who by all outward appearances should have been following the Lord. But yet then we had a woman who had truly been experienced uh, the love and power of God in her life and had anointed Him. And we looked at how Mary had experienced the power of God in her brother's life, Lazarus, to bring him back from the dead. And tonight as we go into verse 17, I want to talk to you about trusting the plan of God. And uh, there are so many ways that these uh, verses could be looked at. We could do an in-depth study of the Passover and what each of the uh, items at the Passover represent. We could look at the days and the time, and those are all wonderful studies, and I hope that you will look at those on your own. But tonight I want to look at this just a little bit differently because I think all of us at some point in our life have probably asked God, I just don't quite understand. I just don't quite see, God, what you're doing in this situation. If you're like me, you've probably even thrown a, a pity party of why me, Lord? Uh, why, why am I going through this? Uh, why are we going through this? Lord, we've tried to do everything you've wanted us to do. And I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's a pretty hopeless place to be because you are trying to figure out the mind of God. And God is above our ways and His plans are above our plans. But I think that all of us as human beings have that weakness in the flesh to say why. And I don't think most of us struggle with it when everything is going well, when we are uh, voted uh, most popular in our class. And some of you are going, well, Jake, it's been so long since I've been in school, we didn't have elections. But uh, uh, you've probably been there in your life when things at work were going well, uh, things at home were going well, uh, financially things were well. But tonight you probably can also remember some times in your life when things didn't quite seem to be going so well. Maybe you did not know how something was going to work out. Maybe you found yourself in a bind, in a difficult situation, whether it was health or financial or relationship. And, and the question is, do I keep pressing forward? What comes next? And as we see the passage of Scripture tonight, the Lord is organizing the Lord's Supper. He is with His disciples, but yet not all as well. If you remember, we just looked at how one who was among the twelve, who had been close to Jesus, who had been a part of his ministry, was seeking to betray him. And tonight we see that play out. We see the encounter between Jesus and Judas. And just not just to tell the whole sermon off the bat, but tonight I really want you to think about trusting God's plan in relationship to other people. Because other people can be a great blessing or they can be a great burden. I told someone this afternoon, I, they said, um, how are you like teaching the three and four-year-old Sunday school class? I said, I love it. I said, I thoroughly enjoy it, probably more than dealing with adults. Uh, and the reason is kids make mistakes, adult makes mistakes. 
But when you ask a kid about it, they will usually say, I did it. And even if they don't do it the first time, after a little bit of a inquiry, they confess. Adults can harm you, wrong you, do things to you, and smile on their way out the door. There's just something about a child and the innocence of their mistakes. And so tonight I want to talk to you about trusting the plan of God in the difficult relationships that you face. You say, well, Jake, I don't have any difficult relationships. Don't have any anybody I have a problem with. I just cut them out of my life. I move on without them. Uh, well, I hope that is the case, but it might be that you are the difficult person in this story. So tonight, if you would pray with me, we'll just go right through it. Father, tonight I pray that you would help each and every one of us, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. Lord, tonight you know that I am not able, not capable of doing the task that you have called me to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak, that you would move. Father, I pray that your spirit would be involved in all that is said and done in this place tonight. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of anything in my heart, my mind, Lord, that has disobeyed you, that is rebelling against you, that I might do your will tonight. Father, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to show you tonight, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, is that Jesus organized a meeting with a purpose. Jesus is doing things according to a purpose and a plan that had been established, that had meaning behind everything that He was doing. And so in Matthew, the 26th chapter, starting in verse 17, the Bible says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to Him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And He said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now we as non-Jewish people look at this and really begin to think this is a big deal. This is something that's very special. But you have to remember, while that is the case, Jesus would have observed the Passover every year that He was alive. The disciples would have went through this same motion every year. They would have prepared the food. They would have found a place. They would have got all of the elements in order. And so tonight, while we see this going on, we need to know a couple things. One, this was a special event in the time of the Jewish person. Because everything about Passover passed back to the idea that God had delivered them from slavery and bondage. And anytime God really wanted to get a hold of His people, He always referenced back to, I am the God who delivered you from the Egyptians. I am the God who took you out of slavery and bondage and brought you into freedom and brought you into a land and brought you into all of these blessings. And so the significance of it is not lost. But yet, if you are a disciple following Jesus, and Jesus begins to tell you, let's get this done, it's not that big of a deal. It's something you've done. It's something you've been a part of. And let's all be honest. The longer we are saved, the more we take for granted. We take for granted the opportunity to worship. 
We take for granted the opportunity to be in Sunday school. We take for granted the opportunity to serve, not because we don't care. We know that we care. We know that we should. But let's just be honest. The longer you do something, the easier it is to get in a habit. Same thing can be about marriage. Right when you were first dating, you were going out on dates and you were doing sweet things and kind things and you were really trying to make them believe that you were not as bad as you could be, right? That that they really could do worse. But after you're married and the longer that you're married, sometimes those things begin to fade. Sometimes those things that you did to go above and beyond begin to fall by the wayside. And so when we look at this tonight, we need to understand that while these men were doing what they were supposed to do, Jesus had something bigger in mind. Jesus had a plan that He was going to go through this, and it shows us there in verse 19. Jesus had directed them. He was specific about it. But He had even said in verse 18, My time is at hand. And we know He's been trying to get them to wake up to the idea that He's going to die, that He is going to go to the cross. But each and every one of us, I really do believe, sometimes can be slow in recognizing the signs that are being given to us. That's why I think the Bible repeats itself over and over and over and over again because God knows it takes more than one time for us to get it. God's promises are repeated and repeated and repeated. Why? Because even though we know them, when the difficult moments of life come, we can waver. Sometimes the warnings, you see them throughout the Bible, are repeated and repeated and repeated. And that's why so many people view that God doesn't want us to have fun, doesn't want us to have joy. He just wants us to follow rules and behave. But yet the Bible says that we should delight in the law of God that obedience to His Word brings joy. It brings peace. But we see these warnings over and over again because God knows that we don't listen well. We don't comprehend well. And so Jesus organized a meeting that seemed like it was like any other but had great plans in store. And sometimes in your life and in mine as Christians, we go through the motion thinking today is going to be just like yesterday. This Sunday will be just like last Sunday. This Sunday night will be just like next Sunday night. And what we don't realize is that God has something special in store. God has something wonderful in store. You say, well, Jake, I'm just running to, to food park to get a few things. It's just in and out. You know, I didn't, even, I didn't even put my makeup on, didn't put my hair up. You know, I like to go to the store in my bib overalls because no one knows me and I can go in and out and everybody's like, I don't know that guy. And I'm like, hey, hello, how are you? And this is so important because you never know the encounter that God might want you to have with that young lady that's checking you out. You have no idea how God might want you to reach out to that person that cut you off in the parking lot and took the good parking spot and sent you to the back. You have no idea how God might have brought someone into your life that is in need of a special touch, a kind word, an opportunity to see the love of God and what we take for granted, what we go through the motions of. God is saying, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. How many of us as parents can get in the routine of the same thing? At my house, it's like they get up, they, they rush to get around, there's sometimes some yelling going on and I just hide in the basement doing my own thing. I don't want any part of that up there. But from time to time, I come up there. From time to time, I stick my head up the stairs and like, is everyone still alive, all right? Is everyone still okay? But why? Because I want to go up there and just remind them that, hey, I love you. I hope you have a wonderful day. 
I hope things go well for you. But on the rare occasion, it doesn't happen very often that I sub at my children's school, I get to take them with me. And so then I get to be involved in the process of what it looks like to send all of those children to school. And as I'm driving to school, I always try to remind them, God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. God wants you to make a difference. And you say, well, Jake, they're kindergarten, first grade, third grade, and sixth grade. And it doesn't matter. God has a purpose and a plan. Our Sunday school lesson today was about a seven-year-old king in Israel and how he loved God and turned to God and the people turned to God. And so if God can use a seven-year-old king, he can use you. He can use me. Psalm 33, chapter, the 33rd Psalm, verse 11 says it like this, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generation. You have to believe that you are not an accident. You're not here by chance. You're not here just because you wanted to be, but God has something in store for you. Same way that I have to believe that when I preach God's Word. I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know who is going to show up for the first time. But I have to believe that God's counsel stands forever. I have to believe that God has a purpose and a plan for people. And the Word of God is what they need to hear, and that's what I must deliver. And I pray that God will use it for His glory. And so tonight I want to encourage you that Jesus organized a meeting with a purpose. Second thing I want to show you tonight is Jesus shared truth and faced betrayal. Jesus shared truth, and faced betrayal. Look what it says in verse 20 through 25. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now while we know that someone is looking to betray Jesus, the disciples are hearing about this really for the first time. And while we know what happens, for them, can you imagine it? The twelve of them had been with Him. They had walked with Him. They had talked with Him. They had witnessed what He had done. And here He is telling them, One of you will betray Me. One of you will turn on Me. And look what it says in verse 22. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say to Him, Lord... Is it I? And I know there's a lot of preachers and commentators that like to really bash on the disciples and for their lack of faith and for their stubbornness and for their many weaknesses that we see through the Bible. But what we see here is a genuine love for God. It bothered them. It broke their heart. And they wanted to know, is it I? You see, friends, I believe our church needs a little bit of that. A little bit of that humility that says, Lord, what's in my life that shouldn't be there? God, how have I failed you? God, how have I wronged someone? God, how have I strayed from where you want me to be? God, what is it in me that needs to change? And I believe when that dose of humility happened to them, and it happens to us, that God can use us for His glory. He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Some people think, well, Judas must have had his hand in the bowl at the same time. No. It's a general statement saying, someone that is ate with me, someone who is close to me, someone who 
everyone thinks, trust me. It's a genuine thing here. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good good for him that that man, if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, said, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. There are a couple things I want to show you from here. Judas had convinced them all that when Jesus said someone was going to betray him, that they didn't all look and go, it's got to be that guy. Because if you knew something bad about someone in this church, or you heard a rumor but didn't know the name, some of you would start thinking, I bet it was so-and-so. You know how they are. You know what their family's like. You saw them when they were there. But Judas had convinced them so much that when they were confronted with a betrayer, that none of them looked at him. Friends, it's a clear sign that you can sit in church, you can look like a Christian, you can talk like a Christian, everyone can think you're a Christian, and you can be lost and on your way to hell. And friends, I want you to see this tonight because as this unfolds, I would be thinking, do they know it's me? I would be the first, I'm like, I I did it! (laughs) But what we see here is the love of Jesus for Judas. I believe he's giving him another opportunity to repent. Another opportunity to admit, yes, Lord, it's I. It's me. I have sinned against you. But what we also see here is that Jesus was betrayed. And let's be honest, most of us, if we were Jesus and betrayed by our closest friend, would quit immediately. We would quit. We'd quit coming to church because someone had offended us. We would quit spending time with someone because they had failed us. We would quit speaking to someone because they had hurt us. Psalm, the 27th chapter, verse 1, says it like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, tonight, if you want to be used by God, you need to know something. You are going to be betrayed. You will be hurt. You will be lied to. You will stand for Jesus, and others who are supposed to stand with you will not. And friends, what we see from Jesus is, even though He knew the betrayer, even though He knew what was going to happen, He still had this conversation anyway. Most of us, if we knew the betrayer and we knew the situation, would just act like it never happened. Didn't see it, didn't hear it, don't know of it. But Jesus shared the truth and faced betrayal. Tonight I want to ask you, what have you stopped doing for God because of someone else? Now let that sink in for just a moment because it's not going to be pleasant. What have you stopped doing for God because of someone else? How they've hurt you. How they've failed you. How they've let you down. Because if I'm Jesus, I could just say, well, I'm not going to the cross. These people don't even appreciate it. Judas has betrayed me. I don't need this. I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. The great I am. The Alpha and the Omega. You say, well, Jesus was God and it didn't bother him. Well, the Bible says that Jesus wept when he saw that Lazarus had died, knowing that Lazarus was coming back to life. 
And so while Jesus knew that the betrayer would have to betray him and knew who the betrayer would be, the flesh in him would have hurt. He would have experienced the pain of betrayal, the, the, the pain of loss. The human emotion that we all face, he experienced. That's why the Bible says he was tempted and tried in every way that we are. That's why the Bible says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. And so Jesus had a purpose. Jesus was betrayed. But what comes next? What comes next for Jesus and what comes next for you tonight? Last thing I want to show you is Jesus continued with His ministry even though He was betrayed. Jesus continued with His ministry even though He was betrayed. Now those of us who have been in church a long time understand, yes, He went to the cross. Yes, He was crucified. Yes, He was buried. Yes, He rose again. We know all of that. But the flesh in us, the us in us, has to know that we have wanted to quit. We've wanted to quit on our relationships. We've wanted to quit in our marriages. But yet Jesus shows us that continuing on does not depend on other people. You following God does not depend on me. It doesn't depend on your Sunday school teacher. It doesn't depend on the person sitting in front of you. Your walk with Jesus is your responsibility. It's something only you can claim, and it's something only that you can be blamed for. Starting in verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You see, tonight I want to ask you this simple question. What is hindering you from being what God wants you to be? What is hindering you from being the husband that God wants you to be? What is hindering you from being the wife that God wants you to be? You say, Drake, Jake, I've been... Drake, I don't know who Drake is, but sounds a whole lot cooler than me. Jake, you just don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my spouse has put me through. You don't know what my parents did to me. You don't know what my coworkers have said about me. You don't know what I've seen in church. And I just tell you, it has hindered me. It has kept me from being who God wants me to be. Tonight, the answer is Jesus. Tonight, the answer is knowing that He died for you, He loves you, and He can heal your hurt. He can heal your brokenness. He can heal your pain. And you say, well, what about the other person? You let God worry about them. Jesus didn't beat up Judas for betraying Him. Jesus didn't even speak unkind about him. Jesus didn't get all the disciples together and say, let's have a gossip session about Judas. Can you believe what he has done? To his face, he just says, it's better that you would have never been born. And left it at that. I don't know about you, but when I'm betrayed, I can't leave it at that. 
I stew over it. I think about it. I get angry about it. I avoid driving by people's houses because it makes me madder. You say, oh, Jake, I don't have that problem. That's all right. Bless your soul. Why? Because it hurts. It's painful. It's difficult. Listen to what Jeremiah, the 12th chapter, says in verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah was preaching to the people he loved, but they would not listen. Jesus was pe- pre- Je- Je- Jeremiah was preaching to a group of people that he wanted to turn and to repent and get right with God. And listen to what it says. If you have run with the footman, men, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? For even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. He's saying, how are you going to stand firm against the enemy of horses if you can't even stand against men? If you know anything about military conquest at this time, you would have foot soldiers and they would uh, fight in battle with spears and sword and makeshift weapons. But for the army that had a cavalry, that had horses, that had chariots, that was a game changer. You see that in the Bible when it talks about the uh, Amorites had this many horses or the Egyptians had this many horses. And, and why? Because it was a game changer. And what he's saying is if you cannot stand against this original test, if you cannot stand against this original enemy, how will you face what comes next? And friends, tonight I don't know what comes next for you. I pray it is a season of peace. I pray it is a season of prosperity. But I can promise you if you live long enough, the trials will come. The disappointments will happen. The betrayals will occur. The disappointment in people will happen. And the question is, what will you do with it? How will you handle it? What will cause you to lay down your sword and quit fighting? What will, lay, what will cause you to lay down your shield and quit defending? Our church, like every other church, is full of members who have no desire to be a part of God. My attendance sheet that I have that Selena gives me every week is full of people that never show up. What is it that causes them to quit fighting, quit serving? Some of them have good points probably. Some of them say, I didn't like the joke Jake told. Or I didn't like the fact that he got angry with his kids. The other day at the ball game, my kids were sitting with a family and they were misbehaving. And all these people are crammed into this little section there at the ball game. And I looked up and said, if you don't behave, I'm going to spank you in front of all these people. They just looked at me and laughed. But I can tell you a few of them people said, oh, did you hear that preacher talking about spanking his kids? Boy, he seemed kind of angry when he said it, didn't he? Friends, I want you to know something. It don't matter my failures. It won't be enough on the day of judgment. No matter what anybody has done to you, it will never be enough to have to tell Jesus that I couldn't be who you wanted me to be because of them. Well, God, I loved you, but I didn't like your church. God, I loved you, but I didn't love the preacher. 
God, I loved you, but I didn't love my Sunday school teacher. I ask you tonight, will you continue regardless of the opposition? You say, well, Jake, what does that mean for us as a church? I have no idea. But the question is, will you be committed no matter what comes? Will you be dedicated to the things of God no matter what happens? You say, I'm involved, I'm plugged in, I'm going to serve, I'm going to be the one that when this church needs something, I am there. They can rely on me. Because friends like Jeremiah is telling us from the Lord, the enemy is not growing weaker. Satan is not doing less. The Bible tells us it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we are watching it in our own country. The hatred for the things of God. Someone recently told one of our staff members, is it even appropriate for a preacher to be in a school? They came from a bigger city and that was what they thought. Separation of church and state. You say, well, Jake, we live in a small community. People still think the same way we do, act the same way we do. Why is it that less than 8% of all churches in America meet on Sunday nights? Because it doesn't matter. You say, well, I like Sunday nights. I'm glad. Some of you say, I come just because we have it. I'm still glad. You say, well, Jake, well, well, we believe that you ought to obey your parents and you ought to make a difference in your community and, 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 and you ought to be a good citizen and you ought to live out your faith. Why is it that cities like Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, Portland have record numbers of murders? Because the Bible says that lawlessness will abound. Parents, I want you to know something. You might not think that your kids are being influenced, but you open their phone and look at it. The movies they watch, the things they listen to, the conversations they have. (laughs) When I was in the fifth grade, I was so scared of girls, I wouldn't go to a dance. Never would have dreamed of it. And then in high school, I just couldn't get a girl to go to the dance with me. But when I was a kid, I've had my second grader come home talking about how a girl in her class wants to kiss and like another girl in her class. You say, well, Jake, that's the exception. No, I'm telling you, these kids are being pushed and indoctrinated to the things that hate God. And if you think it's hard to stand for Jesus now, it's only going to get difficult and more difficult. And so tonight I encourage you, what's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back for you? Ah, the preacher preached on money for the second week in a row. That's it, I'm done. Well, preacher mentioned homosexuality two Sundays in a row. That's it. Preacher's really been meddling in my business in these Sunday morning sermons. I've just had enough. Someone didn't speak to me in the lobby today. I've had enough. I just want to encourage you tonight to commit. Lord, it doesn't matter what anybody does. I'm going to follow you. Lord, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm going to trust you. And tonight I want to leave you with this. If you're here and you're saying, Jake, I don't have that confidence. I don't have that assurance. Tonight you can. Jesus, teaching on the Lord's Supper here, makes it very clear to them about His body that would be broken. 
And while the Bible teaches us that there was not one bone broken in his body, it was beaten, it was tortured, it was just demolished, the flesh, the skin, and it was die, and it died for us. He talks about his blood there that was shed for us, the remission of sin, the payment that was made. And so tonight I want you to know that Jesus stayed the course to save you from your sin and to save me. And tonight, if you will repent of your sins, turn to Him, call upon His name, you shall be saved. And I pray tonight that if there's anyone lost in this room, that you would be saved. But tonight, knowing most of you, and having known most of you now for many, many years, I know your faith and your relationship with the Lord. And the greatest danger to you tonight is not being lost, it is quitting. It's giving up. It's becoming half committed. It's beginning to slowly step away from the task that God has called you to do because of something that's happened. You say, oh, Jake, I've been in church so long it couldn't happen. It can. If you're not committed to Christ more than anything else. You can't follow a church. You can't follow a preacher. You've got to love Him. And if you'll love Him with all that you have, your commitment will stand firm. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, tonight I just pray that it has been a help, it's been an encouragement. God, that you have used it to convict whatever needs to happen in this place. Father, I ask that you'd forgive me if I have said anything that was not your words, that your will. Tonight I just pray that you would heal hurts, that you would repair broken relationships. Father, that you would restore things that the world has given up on, whether it's personal, whether it's relationships, or whether it's the commitment to Christ. Father, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for blessing they have been to me and the way that they have loved me and my family. Lord, I just pray that uh, your messenger has honored them tonight and honored you. And so, Father, I just ask that you would work in this time that we have together. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.